This morning, I, uh, everything changed many times this weekend as I was getting ready for uh, today's message. In fact, the message I was going to share today is on my computer right now, <laughs> still. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's morphing, and so next week I've got a follow-up to today, just the way this has gone. And I want to begin by showing you what it's going to be called. Today we're starting with... Uh, just a little look at stressing to make a difference. A culture obsessed with stardom and heroes. We've got our superhero logo um, to, to kind of keep us on track here. But what's, this was triggered by a, a talk I heard Steve McVeigh do this week. And uh, he was talking about making a difference, being able to make a difference. And as the talk went through, I started to realize, wow, we as a culture are obsessed with trying to make a difference, and therefore, if we're not feeling like we're making a difference, we're failures. It's the vicious cycle of not doing enough, or my life doesn't mean anything, which is kind of a, a piggyback to last week's talk. What about the stuff that we do do? How do we know it has meaning? Well, so-and-so is doing it better, or, or look at that story over there. And everybody wants that spotlight spot. That hero spot. And half the cartoons for kids with superheroes and, and the adult ones are all about somebody trying to make a mark to be known, and it's all driven from selfish ambition. I believe this all comes from something called you don't know who you are. And today, I'd like to continue to remind you of who you really are. And I came across a reading that uh, Richard Rohr put up uh, this week. Uh, it's called Who Am I? And I want to read it to you because it is powerful. Uh, if you need a link to this, you can email me or just look up Richard Rohr on, um, on Google and uh, this will come up on one of his devotionals. Um, let me just read this to you. Who am I? Forgive me if this seems too harsh, but it seems to me that much of religion has become a preoccupation with forms rather than substance. People like Augustine of Hippo, Teresa of Avila, Thomas Merton, and Carl Rayner tell us that the discovery of our deepest self and the discovery of God should be the same discovery. That's why good spirituality and good psychology operate well together. Too much of both religion and common therapy seem to be committed to making people comfortable with what many of us call our false self. It is rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic, which is going to sink anyway. To be rebuilt from the bottom up, you must start with the very ground of your being. The spiritual path should be about helping you learn where your true ground, your deepest truth, and your eternal life really are. Our common phrase for that is finding your soul. I believe that God gives us our soul, our deepest identity, our true self, our unique blueprint already at our very conception. Our unique little bit of heaven is installed by the manufacturer at its beginning. We are given a span of years to discover it, to choose it, and to live our own unique destiny to the full. The discovery of our own soul is frankly what we are here for. Your soul is who you are in God and who God is in you. We do not make or create our souls. 
We only awaken them, allow them, and live out of their deepest messages. Normally, we need to unlearn a lot of false messages given by family, religion, and culture in order to get back to the foundational life which is hidden with Christ in God. Colossians 3.3 Yes, transformation is often more about unlearning than learning. Which is why the religious traditions call it conversion or repentance. As a young friar, I remember being not a French fry friar. He's a Franciscan monk friar. Just so you know which one it is. I remember being very confused about Jesus beginning his preaching with the word change in Mark 1.15 and Matthew 3.2. What was I supposed to change from? I was a good Catholic, a Franciscan, soon to be a priest and trying to keep my vows. I assumed he meant it for the other bad people. But those roles and identities were still all forms, not necessarily the substance of my soul. I hope you get the point. The false self is all the more delusional, the more it appears to be good. Who are you? Who am I? It's easy to forget, especially when the week gets rolling, especially when the, the schedule of life gets ripping through in September is another time when things go crazy and everybody's back into new routines, especially parents, a whole new cycle. We think summer's a break, but it's not because we put everything off until summer. And then when summer gets here, we never get it done because some other stuff has come up and then we wish we didn't. Why didn't we get it done in the summer that we hoped to? Now it's the fall. Too late next summer. You know, like it, it's, it's just constant, always something pushing us and pushing us. But who are we? Who am I? Can we make a difference? Why do we have this obsession to want to make a difference? Because we're seeing people around us pushing, stepping on others, trying to win approval through their activities and self-promotion. How many people have you seen that do the self-promotion? They just got to push their product, push their book, push their, and it's all, hey, have you read this? Oh, and it's all them, 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 getting their name forward because some program has told them this is how you become popular and create your platform. How many have heard that? Self-effort. Is there wisdom in some of that? Yes. But most of it's brutal, brutal pride and delusional pride. (laughs) I've seen so many people who try to make something of themselves and look like fools doing it. Because everybody can read. They can can smell the... mm -hmm. you You know it's not real. But then you see somebody else living life as they are going. Says, why are they? Why are people going to them? Why are they having an impact? Here it is. Christ in them is motivating them to do all that they do in the context of daily walking. Do you remember that verse where Jesus said, uh, "Go and make disciples of all nations"? Do you remember that? The go literally means as you are going. It doesn't mean. Start what you've not started yet and go do, as in go. Because if I now go to the back of the room, it means I am here and I go. It's, it's meaning instead, as you are going, wherever you live and walk and move and breathe and have your being at work, at home, in the family, wherever it is, doing dishes, laundry, mowing the lawn, trimming branches, whatever it is, as you are going, make disciples, not converts. Big difference. We're not called to go proselytize. 
to make people say a prayer? That's never written in Scripture. There is no prayer in the Bible. Lord Jesus, please come into my heart. It doesn't exist. It does call to belief. We are called to believe. It's powerful. Go as you are going. And I believe a person that does have a natural impact is an individual who's allowing the life of Christ to live out of their lives. And I want to show you some verses that will make that clear. Oops. I'm going to need the uh, screen, Simon. If you could give me, or at least move me forward to the next verse. There we go. Okay, Ephesians 2.10. I'm going to read this from four different translations, because this is beautiful. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. You and I, if we don't know we are his workmanship, then we're going to try to work to become something that we already are. What a vicious cycle, trying to become something we already are. That's why people are struggling so much in trying to find their identity, trying to find out who am I, and maybe this this event will give me meaning. The event doesn't give you meaning. Your success doesn't give you meaning. It's the peace of Christ in you that does. And this world does not understand peace yet, which I'll show you in a few minutes. The New Living Translation calls it, it says the verse like this, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. So we are a new creation. So we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. God does have a plan for us to do good things. Here's where the church gets it wrong. The whole Western evangelical church messes this up. Because by reading this, it's implying, if you read it through the Western lens, oh, there's things he wants us to do. Now it's my job to discover what those things are, and I have to work hard to find and make sure I do all those things. It's baloney. That's not your job. Your job is to be. Let him trigger the response. It's not for you to go search and figure out, oh, is this it? Is this God's will for me? Is this? For those that are searching what God's will is for them, they're in an identity crisis. They're forgetting who they are every single time. Because when you know who you are, when you know your oneness with Christ and his indwelling life lives in and through us at all times, we can rest and not try to strive to become something we already are. Do you see the difference? Can, a little bit, please. Holy Spirit, tell them, please. Next one. From the, uh, from the uh, Passion Translation, which I've come to really appreciate. We have become his poetry, which is the more correct word, by the way. This is the more biblical word, biblical translations, poetry. A recreated people that will fulfill the destiny he has given each of us. For we are joined to Jesus, the anointed one, even before we were born. God planned in advance our destiny and the good works we would do to fulfill it. The Mirror Translation by Francois. We are engineered by his design. He molded and manufactured us in Christ. We are his workmanship, his poetry. We are fully fit to do good 
equipped to give attractive evidence of his likeness in us in everything we do. In everything we do. Where's evidence of this? Without even trying, like, think non-religious, please. If, okay, if we, if we want to pull off religious in the front end, let's look at a religious picture that you may identify with, because most of us here are, are well church. We've gone to church for a long time. Some are new. But even in the church, we have Sunday school teachers out there teaching, doing a work. Do you think they're having an impact on those kids? Their very presence, the light and life and joy and peace of Christ in each person doing coffee, greeters, you name it, the cleaners, and the love with which they do all the things they do, it's not doing it for God. And if there is a mentality that says they're doing it for God, that's just a grammar thing. It's just terminology. But you're not doing it in order to gain acceptance. It's called the love of Christ compels me to do these things. There are many gifts in the body of Christ. Not everybody's called to do the exact same thing. It wouldn't be the church. Philippians 2, 12 to 13 says, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do, oh, wait a minute. Do you know what this probably might mean then? The, the problem might not just be identity. The problem might even be trust. Do you actually trust God? <laughs> well, that leads to another question. Who is he really? What's his character like? Is he schizophrenic? Can I really trust him? Is he uh, this way one day, and if I tick him off, then he's no good, and then now he's, oh, because he's mad at me, now he's going to send me off to Africa or something like that, because that's, that's one of the fears North Americans have. I can go to Africa or the Amazon. <sighs> Chill. Do you trust him? I'll bet you this boils down to a lack of truly trusting God with our lives. Because if we can surrender our hopes and wills and desires, and by the way, a lot of those hopes, wills, and desires are ones he's given us, so even if we surrender them, he's planted them in us already. It's okay. He works it all together. You can trust him. He has a plan for you. And it might be going out to the food court and being kind to the person serving coffee as you are going. It might be a gentle smile to somebody sitting downstairs, or usually it's the men that are sitting on the bench downstairs in front of the women's clothing store. You know, There could be a very depressed person sitting there, and you walking by with the light of Christ in you, giving a smile. That's it. Just a smile and keep going. You don't know you've done it. But the Holy Spirit can use that to speak into their soul and remind them there's still kindness in this world when they feel everything's falling apart. You don't know. I have, a, I have a tug of war wrestle with the Holy Spirit whenever I see these panhandlers at the highway exits and, and different spots, you know. So I'm on, game on, game off, you know, uh, for different times where I give money or not. And that's fine. Sometimes I think, ah, forget it, you know. It's just a, it's a quick money game. But then I also realize they struggle with real mental health. They can't work. Hmm. 
And then you could get legalistic. Well, they're not supporting our economy. They're taking from the economy and they're not paying taxes. And you could play all that game. But guess what? Take that thought and shove it into manure pile. I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. When we go there, and I'm, I'm guilty of it. That's why I can say this. When we do that judgment, oh, they're going to use it for drugs, they're going to use it for smokes, whatever. When we do that, we don't see a person anymore. We see a problem. Don't you dare do that anymore. That person standing on the street corner has the light of Christ in them, and they may not see it. Remember the light that is in them? If it be darkness to them, then how great is that darkness? The light is still there. They just can't see it or hear it. Your kindness may call into that darkness to the light and draw it out with whatever act of kindness and gentleness and non-judgmentalism you have. People know judgment. They can sniff through the, the slight sneer of the eye, the slight, slight twitch of the lips, Facial recognition software can read all kinds of things. Well, if facial recognition software can read that, our human faces and eyes, we can read other people's expression and body language even faster. We can't even, it processes so fast, we don't even know what's happening. But we can tell when people are authentic or not. We can tell when they're condescending. I've even seen people throw toonies and make the person go chase it. I thought, really, humiliate them. Oh, but I'm giving. Really? I'd rather have the cars honking behind me because I'm being kind. And tomorrow, I may not give anything. I Guess what? I'm going to live moment by moment letting Christ tell me what to do. I'm trying to practice that presence. Do you hear it? This is what the Christ life is about. Making that difference. One person, human at a time. No matter where we're at. Don't forget what brought you to where you are. Don't forget what circumstances gave you the wealth you have. In the same way, turn it and invest it back into the economy of God by doing good deeds, and it will continue to bear fruit over and over and over again and spill over into, you know, the whole pay forward thing, pay forward thing? Yes. That was a God concept, not some movie guy. That was birthed by the light of Christ. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Up here, if you read this the wrong way, where it says work out your salvation... It does not say work for your salvation or work to maintain your salvation, which is what I grew up understanding. With fear and trembling, make sure you're saved. Well, I know who my Savior is. I know who my life is. That, I don't have to fear that. I have deep reverence for the one who is in me. But now, work it out. Show the results of this. Trust the indwelling Christ in you who is giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. So he's the beginning, the middle, the power, and the result. What's your role? Participant. The Trinity has invited us to participate in the great dance. 
the great dance of his love. By being human. Jesus became human and is still human. Sitting at the right hand of the Father according to the scriptures. Oh, and we're in him. Also seated with him. So what are you afraid of? What don't you trust about your heavenly Father? The Passion Translation says, continue to allow your new life to manifest through you as you live in the holy awe of God. I wonder if we've forgotten how to live in the holy awe of God. I think sometimes I am super guilty of this. Just getting on with the day, I know my routine, got my to-do list, and I don't think about the awe of God. I gotta get my list done. I have a honey at home, and she has the do list, honey-do list. You know, uh, I got the church list. I got to get this stuff done. I, you know, there's so much to do. But here's what I'm discovering in the last number of months. I'm discovering small pauses in my day. They're sometimes milliseconds. But they're pause to contemplate. And I got, this morning I got a cool uninitiated blindside from God as I was driving in. And I knew the instant it happened, I didn't make it up. That was him calling my attention to him, and I was in awe. That was it. Okay, Sunday's done. That's all I needed. I'm good for the day. (laughs) That's how powerful it was. God's big enough to get your attention. He's also big enough to go after you until he gets your attention. Here's an example. You may be frustrated with your own life because self-disciplines may really stink. You wish you could do this better. You wish you could do that better. You wish you could love God better. You wish you could read your Bible more, pray better, and all that stuff that the church tells you you have to do, which you don't have to do. Instead, because you're in Christ, you get to as part of participating, which he initiates the desire to do those things anyway. What if the struggle you have or your addiction that you may have, the quiet thing that's causing struggle in your life, what if all the attempts that you're trying to do to stop this behavior, whatever it is, what do you know what it is and you know people like it, what if God has designed and knows full well it's going to take you 122 times to try and attempt to stop that event? And you're at number 46. What do you think the Holy Spirit does? Yes, we're getting closer. Because he knows exactly how you are wired. And he is patient, waiting, encouraging, not shaming us. He's not shaming us. He's encouraging us in our walk and trying to point out the source of who is in us to make that source, Christ, come out, work out your salvation. I like the mirror translation. says, discover God himself as your inexhaustible inner source. He ignites you with both the desire and energy that matches his own delight. These are four different translations, the same verse. Do we have more we can learn from these scriptures? Yes. None of us have arrived. My job 
is to build and equip you to go do the work. But if you don't know the source, you may be trying to do the work in your own strength. And it may work well for many, many years. You will burn out. Why wait that long? Save yourself some headaches. Philippians 4, 67 says, Don't worry about anything. Oh boy, welcome to our culture. We are brilliant at worry. We're really good at it. Well, I'm not really worried. I'm just concerned. Really. <laughs> there is value in you know, having some uh, focused attention on, let's say your finances are crashing, you need to know how to, how to correct that. that. That's not what we're talking about. Long term, short term, the worry that you are responsible to make it happen. Do you trust your Heavenly Father? He does work things out. He does not spare us from pain. I'm going to end with that in a little bit. Whoop, back to this. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about some things. Oh, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Okay, so when we pray, how do we pray? Easy. Tell him what you need. God, I need help. He loves those prayers. King David prayed a lot of those prayers. In fact, he got pretty nasty in some of his prayers. You know, take them out, God. Gut their bellies and slice their throats and all that stuff. He just, he really, he really wished his enemies dead. By the time he got done ranting, and may all praise go to you, because I trust you will work it all out. That kind of thing. That, that's a pattern in, in David's psalms. Which means you and I are allowed to vent and express and put our heart out to God. Say, God, here's what I need. And then thank him for all he's done. Why is that so important? And we leave that one out because our focus is on what we need. A person who walks in thanksgiving, I've never heard a complainer or a crabby person who is thankful. They don't exist. It can't happen in the same spirit. Maybe it's time to stop and think and give thanks to God for what he has done. First of all, for you, not just salvation, but salvation. Oh my goodness, that was huge. And then personally, look through your life. The person who spoke a kind word into you when you needed it most. The person who gave that loan that was that loan you needed. The person who gave you that break. The spouse that actually said yes to you. Can you believe that? What? She said yes. Yeah. And miracles do happen. Thank God for these things. Begin to take stock of what to be thankful for and don't take it for granted. All you have has been given to you and provided to you by your Heavenly Father. Tell God what you need. Thank Him for all He has done. Then you will experience God's peace. Oh my. That's what many people want. Peace. This world does not understand His peace. They want peace, or they want a piece of something, but they don't understand 
peace. Hmm. Which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. This is super encompassing. Write this down if you had to. Take a picture with your phone. Philippians 4, 6-7. This is a critical, critical verse. It might be the thing you showed up for today and didn't even know it. This may be your meditation verse for the rest of the week. First Peter 5, 5-7. Dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Where does this come from? This is coming from the idea of trying to make a difference by trying to create a platform in this world, trying to use whatever means you can to self-promote and push agenda just so you can be successful when that is not, that, that's the backwards way of the biblical way. We are to be humble to one another, kind to one another, gentle. This is how we're supposed to handle things. There, there are times when confrontations come, it doesn't sound very gentle, but it's very loving. There are times confrontation must happen. It's going to sound uncomfortable because voices will be raised. And of course, you get animated. You know, people don't have arguments. They just have animated discussions. That's all it is. But here we are, we're called to dress yourselves in humility. Imagine individuals who are trying to love others authentically, even with their businesses. Can you do it with humility? Dress yourself in humility and do it in kindness and trust God to be the outcome of your business? Trust him also to speak to you every moment. He might give you completely man-made, so to speak, maybe man-made, but maybe God-inspired, ideas that have been laid out by professionals but you're going to do it with a different attitude now. You're going to take those principles and you're going to apply them with grace and love. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God at the right, hand, right time. He will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God for he cares about you. I think some people just don't believe he cares. I think he's just a distant deity. Or he didn't meet my need for this specific thing, therefore he doesn't care. Wow. Please, have, have you stopped to think how big God is? Have you? How big is God? How vast is his power and knowledge? Well, I've got about six or seven books in my office. Explains God. Got it. It's called systematic theology. Got it. It's all packaged, all the categories, figure it out. We know how God works. Great. Now we move on to other stuff. Hmm. If you can think of how big God is, you're already wrong. A created being, you and I, cannot have a concept of how vast, big, powerful, wonderful, loving he is, the Trinity, Father, Son, Spirit, how they work together. We can't get it. And if you think you got it, you don't, because that's new, a new box. That's what I'm in danger of doing. Learning something pretty cool and go, okay, I, I got this part figured out. no. <laughs> don't close the box. 
It's great learning new things, and it's great unlearning things. I've been deconstructing a lot, but I have to do it gently. There's a wise way to deconstruct. And uh, there were times where I got pretty um, unwise and explained it unwisely. The Holy Spirit's showing me gentleness. Do it in a loving way as best you can. It's about people getting it. Humans that are one with each other. We're one with each other right here, even in this room. If we see seeing each other as loved by Christ and humans, destined for greatness, because his greatness is already in us. If we forget that, then we just write people off in small packages and categorize them and judge them for they're this, they're that, they can't help me, they're useless. That's what our world does all the time. That's how wars begin. We're better than they are. 2 Corinthians 1, 3-4 says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. Your Father's good. We say Jesus is good, and that's easy to talk about Jesus being good and wonderful. He's the good cop. God the Father is the bad cop in, in church history. <laughs> that's not true. Jesus came to reveal the Father. Say, no, he's good. He's merciful and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. We've all gone through stuff. Every person in this room has been hurt by somebody, somewhere, somehow, sometime. Some worse than others, so to speak. But God, your Father, who lives in you, has been your comfort, who is equipping you to forgive. And when that true forgiveness comes, and even before that, the Holy Spirit can still use you to help others in their pain. You recognize other people who are going through something similar. There are people, here's an example. There's a number of people divorced in this congregation or that have gone through the journey of divorce. It's a brutal journey, painful one. Some churches, they won't even let you attend the church anymore if you're divorced. And definitely not serving leadership. What a brutal, stupid thing to do and the most unloving thing. People. Those who walk through divorce, they understand the pain somebody else has gone through. They see somebody walking through a new journey of divorce, they're able to come alongside and say, oh man, for one, there's nothing I can say. I'm just going to walk with you because how can you explain the pain you're walking through? That's just one picture of pain. Each of you have a gift. Each of you have something you can give others. And you want to talk about making a difference, being a hero? Then love those around you and have your eyes wide open. Draw your attention to those who are hurting and be peace because the peace of Christ lives in you. You are walking peace to the people in pain. God's going to use people to minister to people. That's how the Trinity works. I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid.
Do you have, or rather, can I rephrase that? Do you experience the peace of Christ in you? That's a good question. If you can't feel it right now, first of all, it is there. Secondly, ask, Father, I believe it's there. I'm not experiencing it. Please either send someone or supernaturally show me how to experience your peace in me so I can be the comfort, grace, and love you've destined me to be to others. I've told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you'll have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. So don't be surprised when the dung hits the fan, when troubles come your way. Don't be surprised. It's going to happen. What are you going to do with it? Your circumstances don't determine your attitude. Luke 22, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail you. And you, when you, and when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. This is Jesus speaking to, the, to Peter. Peter is about to deny Jesus. He says, no, I'm never going to deny you. You're my God. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be strong and tough and, and self-strength. I'll do this. And Jesus said, mm-mm. He never prayed for Peter to be delivered from his pain and agony that he was about to walk through. Instead, by the way, we do that in the church. We pray for people's deliverance from their circumstances. Wait a minute, what if those circumstances are the very thing God's using at that time to bring them from 46 to 72? Okay, (laughs) who knows? You don't know, I don't know. This is where not trying to rescue people, but rather pray for their what? Faith. Jesus prayed for Peter's faith. Maybe we can learn from that. We can begin to pray for people's faith in their trials, that their faith will be strengthened. And what does Peter do? Sure enough, he becomes a major encouragement to his brothers after this. But he had to go through it. And it was tough. This was up on Steve's page this week. I possess the ability within myself to transform another person's life. This I believe. This foundation begins with knowing who you are in Christ. Christ in you. Your oneness with him. Your true identity. What I just finished reading, Who Am I? by Richard Rohr. That is where the ability within you is to transform and impact people's lives. Right there. When you begin to believe it, your eyes will start to be open. Your antenna starts to go up and go, wow, I didn't see those opportunities. Many of us may need to first believe this. We're not quite there yet. Wherever you are in your journey, rest. Believe. Where you have doubts, ask your Heavenly Father. Tell him what you need (laughs) and thank him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, please draw our attention to you. May we have our ears tuned and our eyes fixed on you, the author and perfecter of our faith, 
the faith you have originally given to us. It's not our own faith. It's your faith given to us. And may we work out that salvation, put into action the salvation you've put into us and be the light and love and life to this world that they need to see, especially in the darkness that's out there. Begin with us. May we first believe it. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.